The citizen story is a many-to-many story. The subject story and the consumer story are are one-to-many stories. They put power in the hands of a few and the power to create in the hands of a few, whereas in a citizen story, enabled, I think, by digital technologies by the internet that like it is a many-to-many society and I think that is why we now are at a, an historic moment where it is genuinely possible for us to create a society where everyone does have meaningful power on over the decisions that shape their lives I guess the way I see the moment in time is that these potentials are all live and I offer the subject story, the consumer story and the citizen story as lenses through which to see this moment and kind of distinguish between the possibilities and and maybe see what decisions we could make to open different things up. This is Simone Cicero, the host of the Bandless Conversations podcast, an ongoing exploration on the future of platforms and ecosystems. These conversations help us make sense of what's coming next with platform business models, the dynamics of marketplaces, business ecosystems, and much more. Join me, my regular co-host Sina Heikila, and other guests as we explore new perspectives about how we organize a scale in a rapidly changing world. So welcome back, everybody. We are today giving just a little bit of an intro to our episode where we had John Alexander with us talking about citizenship. So a very interesting conversation around how essentially the story is changing a little bit. Let's say that he's looking at this idea that we are moving from a consumer story to a citizen story. And uh, John has a background in advertising and he really uh, was triggered in his work by this need to understand uh, the impact on society of uh, having something like 3,000 commercial messages a day uh, thrown at us and what it means for how we identify ourselves as as consumers. Uh, Since 2014, he has been working with the new citizenship project that he co-founded. And now this year, he has uh, published a book called Citizens, Why the Key to Fixing Everything is All of Us. So we had this conversation around what citizenship means in his uh, kind of framing and and practically how he is working on on this topic and, and why it's so important. And I think two things that I took from uh, this conversation was First of all, uh, I think he gave me a little bit of a provocation because when I said, isn't it hard to get people to be active citizens? Because I feel like there's a barrier to getting people really active in, uh, let's say, co-creating the reality around us and, and really being active participants. And in his point of view, it's it, that is our nature. So rather than being transformed into citizens, it's about getting uh, away from things that are uh, diverting us from our original, let's say, nature as human beings. Uh, so that was quite interesting. And the second point was also this this idea that the citizen story, it's a many-to-many story. It's not a one-to-many. So if the consumer story is about some centralized organization sending out these 3,000 messages and others consuming it, the citizen story is about these multiple interactions. Uh, so these were some of the points that I really think stood out in the conversation. I mean, on my side, I can double-click on the question that you raise around the transition from uh, the one-to-many to to the many-to-many perspective uh, that uh, was also something that uh, in the conversation we reconnected with uh, some earlier work and conversations uh, with uh, Indy Johar. Uh, So this idea that... uh, 
you know, as we switch towards a many-to-many landscape and we learn how to create uh, contracts and agreements that essentially allow us to, you know, create a prototype, evolve our organizations and institutions in a multiple in a you know, multipolar and, and plural perspective. Uh, we have several challenges, and in the conversation, especially at the end, we uh, kind of uh, reconnect with uh, the political uh, challenges, the design-related challenges, and also the technological ones. Uh, so overall, I think John's book and John's work uh, point out uh, one of the biggest elephants in the room that uh, we discussed recently also with uh, Michele Zanini on this podcast. So the idea that to really create an alternative organizing landscape, an alternative institutional landscape, uh, this is not something we can consume and this is not something we'll get administered to us, but instead we have to actively be part of this conversation, this prototyping. We have to take responsibility, ownership, and we have to be more accountable to ourselves, to our communities, to our uh, families, to our context, essentially. We have to take a first-person stance uh, in uh, participating, and that's uh, the most challenging part, to change your priorities, to change your uh, the way you approach creating value in society uh, towards a much more uh, participatory element that uh, you know we don't seem to be very very ready uh, for. So that's that's why this conversation is important, and uh, we really encourage you to um, listen to this conversation, uh, check John's work, and uh, start to figure out how you can be a good citizen. So hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Boundaryless Conversations podcast. Today, I am, let's say, in the control room seat, and I'm here with Simone. Hello. Hello, everybody. And we have the pleasure here to have John Alexander with us. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. So we discovered, well, when talking before starting the recording here, that we all somehow connect by this incredible network that is WeShare, that we have all in some way come across in the past, uh, mainly through the WeShare Fest that has been this yearly conference for several years in the early 2010, let's say 2013, I I think was the first one. So really great uh, to have you here, John. We are excited to talk about this uh, topic of citizenship and how you conceive that, how you work with that, and uh, also what you are writing about that, because we know that you have your book coming out very soon, so we're going. We have a lot of to talk about today, but maybe what would be a good starting point if if you can explain how you look at citizenship, how you define it, and and then we will go into how how you work with that concretely. Thank you. Yes, I will do. And and just to say, like this this book actually is very much a, a, itself a child of the WeShare network. I think my, I met my uh, my collaborating writer, uh, my co-author Ariana Conrad uh, at at WeShare, and in fact I saw her speaking at WeShare and 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 went and collared her then and there, and then and then she, we we've been to, we've been talking ever since, and that was back in 2015. So it's a long time in the gestation, but but, but very much a child of the WeShare network. Um, so yeah, the the ideas I work with. So essentially what I I think about 
the idea of the citizen as a as a story of who we are, a story of humanity, and and I, and I juxtapose it. I think too often in the world today, the idea of citizenship is is counterposed to non citizenship and thought of as a status that you either own or don't, or as a passport you hold. And I think it's actually much more helpful to think of citizen in contrast to two other possible stories of humanity, which I describe as the subject story and the consumer story. And actually, this is a kind of a broadly historical shift uh, and, and, and context that I talk about. So up until the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th, the dominant story of the individual in society, I argue, is something like the subject. So the in the subject story, the right thing to do is to keep your head down, do as you're told, get what you're given, on the basis that the God-given few who rule society know best, actually, and they will lead us to the best outcomes for society as a whole. And then that story, I think, collapsed at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th, as I say, with the Industrial Revolution, rise of the middle class, the, the burgeoning of technologies. And, and out of the two world wars, we got a different story, more or less consciously, more or less deliberately, which I describe as the consumer story. The consumer story says the right thing to do is to get the best deal for yourself, to look out for number one, choose the best option for you from those that are offered on the basis that the pursuit of individual self-interest will add up to collective interest. The famous Milton Friedman language of of the social responsibility of businesses to maximise its profits is a really direct expression of this. It's like self-interest is social responsibility. And, And I think what we're living in right now is an analogous moment to the transition between the subject story and the consumer story, or at least an analogous collapse. I think just as the subject story fell apart... In the early 19, in the late 19th, early 20th century, the consumer story is falling apart now. It's, it just can't sustain the weight of its own contradictions. It is, it is a, a cause of many of the, an underlying cause of many of the problems of our time. And what might be emerging in this moment is what I would call the citizen story. So in the citizen story, the right thing to do is to get involved, to share your view, to contribute your ideas, energy and resources to the pursuit of the best outcomes for society as a whole and encourage others to do so on the basis that all of us are smarter than any of us, that that actually collective intelligence is how we'll figure out what's best for society as a whole. That moment in time that we're in now is, is, is a moment when the consumer story is collapsing and yet it is trying to be, there is attempts to reboot it. The subject story is kind of roaring back, but also the citizen story is emerging. And, and I guess the reason for writing the book at this moment in time was to say, we need to be able to see that as a possibility uh, in order to be able to step into it. So, John, let's double click uh a bit on this idea of the citizen story, you know, which is extremely interesting. And, and um, uh, I reconnect these, uh, uh, for example, with uh, some conversations we had previously with uh, probably a friend of yours, Hindi uh, Johar. Uh, uh, I'm sure you know, uh, you know, you know, Hindi. And, and he speaks about this idea of transitioning from you know, basically uh, the corporate economy, the private economy into what he calls the civic economy, right? And and so I'm, I'm really curious to understand uh, from your point of view, uh, what is this, the main, what are the differences between the, the, the subject story and, you know, the citizen story, you know, the, the, uh, what is this, really this transition? What does it mean really to, 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 co- to go to, through this transition between being a consumer and being a citizen from the perspective of uh, uh, not just, you know, 
approaching, for example, uh, what we buy or how we participate uh, in existing corporates, uh, for example, as equity holders or with other forms of cooperation, but much more in terms of what do we actually have to do firsthand. So what is the real, uh, how do we really implement this uh, citizen story from our perspective in terms of contribution? I think, as I say, these are stories that I, I think the way we tend to think our society works is that we play many different roles at many different times, that we're parents and, and students and, and teachers and employees and employers and, and, and we move between those roles kind of seamlessly. And what I'm really saying is that underneath all of those, there's this there's this layer of kind of foundational story. This this what what Arley, Arley Hochschild, the Berkeley sociologist, calls deep story, that actually forms and shapes how we play all of those roles. And what this is about is saying. Uh, that, that, that we're experiencing a shift at that level of story or experience contention at that level. And so if I zoom in on the subject story, the, the, the right things to do, the, the ways to behave in that, in that time were about, like, the, the role that most people could play was just to uh, obey and receive. And the role of organisations and leaders was to command and, and sort of direct operations, as it were. It's the kind of the hierarchy, the central brain function. And in a in a consumer society, that the promise was that that would flip upside down. The the idea was that that individuals, the role of the individual, like we we could choose between options. We we know our own self interest, and 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 the role of organisations and leaders becomes to sort of be in service. And and what's I think what's powerful about making about talking about those three rather than just juxtaposing, say, private and civic. And and as you say, I I, I know Indy and, and love his work uh, very deeply, but I think. I think putting those three together lets you sort of see a bit more why this why the consumer story why the why that logic is so appealing because it is a, a liberating shift it does put it puts the power to choose in people's hands the the kind of great lie and limitation of it is that it it, it confuses being able to choose between options with meaningful power like that it, it because there are so many choices to choose so many options to choose between it, it it makes us sort of forget it disguises the fact that the real power lies in shaping what the choices are and it shows up in every aspect of society so it's it's not just uh, about a shift from uh, business being the most powerful function in society back to government or, or whatever. It's it's actually like I, I talk. I think it's much more about saying every every organisation and every institution we have is in many ways kind of manifesting uh, the, the consumer story and, and and keeping us in that story. And, and what we need to do, what all organisations need to do is actually step into an idea of themselves as, as, as an idea of the people they are working for and with as citizens, not just as consumers. So, so for example, the, the work uh, as New Citizenship Project, we have this line, we say we, we help organisations do stuff better because we think of people differently. Like our, our work is essentially an inquiry asking what would this organisation be if it, if it thought of people as, as participants and citizens and people with agency rather than as consumers and, and creatures of self-interest who need to be served. So whether it's a charity like the National Trust uh, which owns visitor attractions all over the country, historic houses and places of natural beauty, that 
in a consumer story world, that becomes very much a consumer proposition that's about selling days out, providing value for money. In a, in a citizen story, that organisation becomes a movement of people who believe that beauty matters and, and are coming together and experiencing these special places as, as part of that movement. Business changes as well. Business stops being just a an extractive kind of Milton Friedman logic I mentioned already, sort of profit-maximising function, and becomes a, a profit-making function, but, but, but one that recognises the citizen business as opposed to the consumer business is a business that recognises its interdependence with, society, with broader society. And government, there is a fundamental transformation for, for, for in the world of government, I think, and I do think that's one of the most interesting and, and important aspects of this, which is to say that government needs to go from uh, sort of... the I talk about sometimes the idea of consumer democracy, that, that a democracy where our only agency is to choose between options offered to us every few years to a citizen democracy where actually everyone has meaningful power to shape the decisions that shape their lives on an ongoing basis and and everything from kind of uh, open idea generation open idea generation open policy making to participatory budgeting to citizens assemblies sort of all are in that space so i think it's Part of the potential, I think, is about moving from a, a private economy to a civic economy. But I'm, I'm sort of, I think it's even deeper than that. I think it's, I think it's actually a, at the level of mindset and worldview and paradigm that informs all of those things, and not just the economy, but the whole of society. Yeah, thank you. I think that, um, of course, what you say here resonates also a lot with, you know, we are working with the platform design and the way that we conceive the entities in an ecosystem and the, 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 that the platform is designed for as very active participants, right? When you're talking, you, you're really talking about moving from being more like a passive consumer and just accepting that role that I choose something that is presented to me. And instead, bec you become like an active agent in shaping uh, whatever you are going to consume in a way. So I think that this is uh, this is something that is really... And I know that you've written about, you know, we, we identify ourselves very strongly with this consumer story. So what are some of the ways that you can make people identify as a citizen and not be, I wouldn't say lazy, but I know that in a lot of participatory uh, projects, it's quite hard to get people really involved because we are used to being uh, served very conveniently uh, things, uh, you know, in, in that kind of... Um, Uh, frame of being a consumer and maybe you can also share a bit in your work how do you encounter that uh, you know are people ready to step into such an active role are they looking for that and just uh, lack the right tools the right mindset and so on and and what can be done essentially so i think what i would say is the starting point for this is is really sort of fundamental ideas about human nature like going right back to first principles and where I come from in this is is an argument that humans are citizens by nature we are collaborative creative and caring creatures who, who, who can and want to get involved but the second uh, sort of fundamental insight is that we are also story storytelling and story dwelling creatures like we are deeply influenced by the story that surrounds us and that the where this work began for me was actually working in the advertising industry and my first boss described my job to me he said what you've got to remember is that the average consumer sees something like 3,000 commercial messages a day 
and his, his thing was you your job is to cut through that and make yours the best and I was kind of happy doing that for a while and then I was like hang on a minute 3,000 a day um, and, and recent studies suggest it could be anything up to as many as 10,000 for a Gen Z per, young person living in living and working in New York for example but the um, sort of at the, at the at the real sort of zenith of, of consumer of the consumer story and I think that seeing the the challenge that you're talking about the sort of challenge of creating or stepping into a citizen society through the lens of those two um those two framing insights that we are citizens by nature but we are also story dwelling creatures i think is 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 really important because what it says is the the challenge isn't to it's not that we've been taught to be consumers and now we need to engage in a kind of intergenerational project to teach ourselves to be citizens it's it's more that we are citizens by nature and that we have to but and the task is to open those opportunities and get the story of the consumer out of the way of that so that we can sort of be more truly who we who we already are and I, one of the exa- one of the stories that, that most excited me and I'm sure many of your listeners will know it uh, very well but is the is the story of what's happened in, in Taiwan over the last decade. The, I mean, they were very much in a, in a space and a place and a, and, a, and a social narrative that said, like, people are consumers. The, the, the government even started something called an economic power-up plan in 2012 and, and effectively said, you, you people just go shopping because we know that's what you want to do. We'll look after the difficult stuff. And it was that moment that was the birth of the, of the GovZero movement and the, and the creation of those those parallel structures that Audrey Tang and, and, and that movement were part of that then has sort of blossomed into um, creating the space for a different relationship. And, and, and after the Sunflower Revolution in 2014, when the students occupied the parliament and then, and then, and then the power shifted so dramatically after that time... It's very, it's very quick from there. You, you, by by twenty sixteen, you had a presidential election where where Audrey became a minister uh, in the government. You you had that that group of people effectively leading Taiwan's COVID response, which was fundamentally participatory, down to down to even things like creating a, a phone line where any citizen could ring in with ideas for how the country's response could be better, and 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 getting the six year olds who'd rung into that phone line on national press conferences like. That that transition happened over in the space of, well, really the core transition happened in the space of about four years. So that should give us great hope. Uh, and I, I see the the opportunity and the challenge as being less about kind of how do we cultivate citizenship in people, and of course there is some of that. There, but 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 I I really love the the metaphor that. Um, and my friend Stephen Green, who who uh, runs Rockcore, um, talks about which is a citizenship as a muscle you build, not a cup you empty. And once you start to work it, you actually want to work it more and more. And so I think that the real opportunity, the real kind of task in this moment in time, and the real challenge to leaders actually is to recognise that hunger for agency that we have, and to encourage us to step into it. And I and I think like. By the way, I think in the particular moment that my book is the, the book is coming out in the world into, with with Russia invading Ukraine and and actually like the Ukraine the the response the global response as well as the Ukrainian response being actually quite deeply citizen driven in many ways. I'd particularly focus in on on Vladimir Zelensky and and the way he has he has actively invoked 
the agency of Ukrainians, the agency of Russians, uh, the agency of people around the world to support him, to be part of it, to, and contrast that with the, the... I saw an article posted and uh, went live on The Guardian this morning saying, what can consumers do to support the war in Russia? And it was like, take shorter showers and drive slower. And you're like, Jesus, like, really? Like, that's the agency that our society, our story is prepared to offer us? And I think that these are the moments. These are the, like, if I go back to the Taiwanese example, like, that moment of the student protest and uh, and the opening of the doors to the agency of the population to say, no, we're going to do this differently. We want ideas and energy and resources of everyone. Those things are hugely culturally powerful. And it's just those those moments that can that can trigger a different story, that open it up in us, and and the belief that that instinct is there. I just I, I know I'm going, I, but just to, to, the one moment in I interviewed Audrey Tang for the book, and and I said to her at one point, um, uh, people must really trust the government of Taiwan for you to do this stuff, and the response was, we don't want people to trust the government. You've got it completely wrong. What we want is the government to trust people. And I think that's a really profound kind of flip of what's required here. That's that's it. I, I mean, uh, you got me to the point very very quickly. I often make this remark, essentially, when we have these conversations around the contribution of citizens into essentially running the, the, the economy, running the infrastructures, running the government and so on. So uh, I, I'm wondering... You know, in this transition from uh, uh, giving citizens the possibility to contribute, and, and you spoke about uh, freedom of agency, which I believe is it's is very important point. But sometimes I feel like what we need uh, it's um, more like a, a reckoning with uh, the responsibility uh, to organize. You know, the you know acceptance of. Uh, the fact that we, we're kind of living through an age where the idea of delegation is ending, right? You know, uh, the idea that you can delegate the government, you can delegate corporates, you can delegate an organization, you know, uh, to do the, the, the work, to, to solve the problems, it's, it's kind of ending. And the, the idea that citizens have to engage uh, directly with the Questions of creating resilience and responding to risk, building their own uh, uh, economies of essentials. So uh, I feel uh, that there is a still a huge, enormous gap uh, between uh, the challenge that is coming to us, uh, as we see, basically, as we live uh, through the end of industrialism and uh, as we live through an age of Uh, as you know, to quote again, in the uh, continuous catastrophes, and the kind of engagement and understanding and deep uh, acceptance of uh, uh, you know the responsibility we have to build our own systems, and, and I think the, the the gap here is still tremendous, is still enormous. So, what is your feeling? Are we trapped into this idea? Okay, we have to participate with the government, the government needs to trust us and so on, uh, or we cannot see that the fact, the problem here is that we do, the government is just not enough, basically. We need much more institutions, many more institutions, and institutions of, of a kind that we don't know yet, so we have to basically prototype them, and nobody's going to do that. So it's not that the government is going to prototype uh, 
you know, multi-scale institutions that can really help us to, uh, you know, respond to what's coming um, in the context of the place and the landscape, the community we live, live, we live in. To offer a couple of reflections back, I, 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 I think that's a challenge I want to sit with for longer, but um, a couple of reflections back. The first, I think, um, so I, was, I heard a, a Polish journalist from Politico, I think, uh, interviewed on the radio the other day about what's going on in Poland right now, the Polish response to the refugee crisis as, as people are, are flooding out of the Ukraine. And the polls are, are leaning into that so powerfully. Like it's it's become like people are welcoming Ukrainians into their homes just as a as matter of course, and 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 flooding to the border to collect refugees and take them take them into their homes. And the guy, the the journalist on the on on this interview referred to it as Poland's Dunkirk moment. And I thought that was such a powerful metaphor. I mean, particularly as a Brit, and particularly given how frankly pathetic our our response our government's response is is to this current moment but but the metaphor imagining those the dunkirk moment of the small boats crossing the channel to rescue and take people back the the idea of this sort of self-organizing small but what it evokes is this is this pride and energy and power in in the opportunity to do something meaningful and that is genuinely commensurate with the scale of the challenge and I think when we're offered that, something that is genuinely commensurate with the scale of the challenge, when we're offered a role that is genuinely meaningful, we're so hungry for that as human beings, so hungry for it. It's when we're, when we're asked to do things that just don't feel commensurate, that it just feels trivial and it, it, it feels like, a, like why would we? And, and, I, and I think there's some justification in that. And I guess where that takes me to is I think, I do think there's a really, really critical role for leaders in this moment in time and 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 if there is a key audience for the book it is it is people in positions of existing power because what i'm saying to them is that you like they have to open up because that they have immense storytelling power people in position in leadership positions particularly heads of government and so on have such immense narrative power that, it, that, it, that they can tell us to be quiet, they can shush us down, even when it's rising. And I think we particularly saw that in the context of the pandemic. Uh, in the early days of the pandemic, in the UK at least, and I, and I know I saw footage from Italy of, of people singing across balconies and, and those, the street WhatsApp groups that sprung up all over the world. And, and, and in the UK, there was this particular example where the government briefly looked like it was going to invite, invite our agency. They created a thing called the NHS First National Health Service First Responder Scheme, which is a volunteer thing. And, and they created it anticipating 250,000 people signing up over three weeks. And the whole thing crashed because 750,000 signed up in 48 hours. And, and so the, in, this, in these moments, like, we're there, we're wanting, and the, and the agency is offered, and we come for it with energy and vigour. And then what, what happened, certainly in the UK, and I think across most of the world, with, the, with exceptions like Taiwan, is that that agency is shushed down. Right, so, so in the UK, we, we, we moved from messaging that told us to stay at home, which was very much a kind of subject story. The, the bargain of the subject story is kind of protection in return for obedience. And, and that, that was falling apart. And, and what happened, the, the, the national message changed to stay alert, kind of look out for yourself, make sure, like take, your, take personal responsibility. 
And the implication was that if other people got sick, then that was their fault. Like, getting sick was your own fault. And that that was the consumer story. And it, it was imposed on us as a kind of... This hunger for agency was starting to manifest in in new organisations, exactly the kind of nascent prototyping new institutions that you're talking about, I think, Simone, were, were starting to emerge. But but when the, the power of story is consciously or otherwise exerted, it can crush that energy. It really can. And that's and so that's why I, I stare at... Um, I, for all that it is our responsibility as citizens to do this, and we are doing it, right? Like, everywhere you look... I begin my begin the book with five stories from all over the world of of citizens, emblematic citizens, kind of organising in some of the most unlikely situations. It is it is happening everywhere, but I do believe that that the power of story, the power of storytelling, is such that unless people in positions of power in the existing system are the critical ones. I, I, in the Taiwan story, I, I I hero less. I would hero less. Audrey Tang and the and the Gov Zero movement, and more hero, a man called Speaker Wang, who was the Speaker of the Parliament, who, when the protest was going on, when the occupation of, of the Parliament was happening, the students were in there, he was the one who said that they, what they're doing here, what, that this occupation is democracy. He, he was the one who, who opened the door to the reframing. And he, he, won't, be, he won't be famous in history, unless, unless my book is terribly successful. <laughs> but he, 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 he's actually the, the per person in the position of power in the existing system who opened the door to the new system. And I think that's, that's a critical role. I hope that makes some sense in response to your question. Yes, I mean, definitely. Uh, just mm, probably a quick point that uh, I, I, I wanted to add to see if you have further reflections. Um, so so in, in what you share, I, I see that there is uh, uh, the need, let's say, to uh, envision how these new institutions can come up uh, in a coherent frame of collaboration with existing ones, right? For example, the government and all this uh, question around uh, narratives, uh, it's, it's, it's extremely important. I'm, I'm wondering if you see uh, stories of uh, uh, cooperation, integration, collaboration between government and citizens, between corporates as well and citizens that uh, I would say express themselves into a context of place. So, because when I when I think about the idea of citizens, right, that connects, of course, with the idea of city. I mean, city can be, for, of course, connected with the idea of place, uh, you know, at least uh, partially, you know, because the city is also a non, uh, I don't know what to say in English, but uh, uh, kind of transcends the idea of place. You know, it's more like uh, an expression of uh, globalism as well, uh, especially at, at, at the day at today. So I'm wondering if you have any reflection or stories or, or comments in terms of how you have seen or, you, or we can see in the future uh, new institutional agreements, new, organ new types of organizations to be created and prototyped in collaboration with either governments or corporates in the context of place and, and landscape, essentially, right? Because I think that this is such an important a point is just an such an important uh, background uh, question uh, when we think about reframing 
our uh, story of organizing, right? So we have to factor in place and landscape and and the limits of place and uh, in the way we rethink uh, our organizational structures. I love that. It's such a wonderful challenge. I, and I completely, I, I do think cities are the most exciting, arguably, realm at which to, to, to do this work. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling more and more drawn to that. Just before I go into maybe an example to just a word on the language, because I think we tend to assume because citizen is a longer word and city is a shorter one that looks that looks very like it that the word citizen is is derives from city so therefore like and and what that tends to make us think is that that a city is a is a place uh, and and a citizen is is a is someone from that place, but actually the the way the actual derivation works is the is is the reverse. The word citizen kind of comes first, as it were, and and literally means together people. It means people who are only understandable and only intelligible in relation to one another, who are fundamentally independent, interdependent, and and a city is just a place where together people are. It's like it's it's like a collective noun for citizens, as it were, and. and I I just find that I just love that and I, I like playing with language anyway and finding that was was a lot of fun but um but that I, mean, I think that only reinforces your point further like a city is the is the sort of first unit of citizenship as it were or the or the, the most significant unit of citizenship and so a really exciting opportunity I mean I think there are lovely examples starting to emerge everywhere I could I could go to 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 Reykjavik where the, the like the very simple uh platform a better Reykjavik uh, where anyone can propose ideas for how the cities run and, and they're upvoted and downvoted and and the top ideas are debated every month in a special session of the city council and have to be responded to publicly and and that's led into participatory budgeting and and so forth uh, i could i could go to um i could go to liege in belgium where there's now a, 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 a they call it the liege food belt the the Alimentaire de liege which is a, a ring i think of now 15 or 16 cooperatives food producing cooperatives circle that, that are built up around the city and through community share offers and cooperative ownership you could go to mexico city where they've crowdsourced the constitution for the city using using i think it's like github and and and, and google docs or something like that you you might know that example better than me but i know there's work going on in in colombia on the idea of a in bogota on the idea of a care city like and, and these these are the kind of the units where the, the the experimentation is happening and starting to emerge and i think they are at a kind of human scale where we can relate to and and build them together so i do i, I think what i'd say is Yes, and I think it is happening. And maybe like some narrative building where you go, like, where are the citizen cities? Let's hero the, the, the cities where this is taking shape already would be a really uh, exciting thing to do. I hope that helps. And also I want to um, come back a bit to this question of um, technology that we were talking about a bit in the preparation for this conversation. Because when I hear all the examples that you cite, John, there is almost always um, uh, some element of technology facilitating everything that is happening. So I think this is uh, just interesting to note that this is technology is pervasive in society. And it's, um, of course, as, as our listeners know, we are exploring how this is becoming even more and more so and what will be the next frontier of this technology enabled organizing. So this is very interesting uh, to note that without 
let's say, the help of, of platforms, of technology, everything that you have mentioned would have been much harder, much slower, probably, less inclusive, less sort of crowdsourced in such a, uh, let's say, comprehensive uh, way. So it would be interesting also to hear your thoughts. But I also then wanted to, yeah, just open the floor for us to explore a little bit maybe the risks around this. We know that we have big platforms that are, on the one hand, enabling the the spread of a citizen story, let's say, the co-creation of a citizen story, uh, but would also have the power to shut down things that don't sort of uh, cohere with what some people might think should be the dominant story and, and, and so on. So it would be interesting to see if we can, you know, explore some of the fundamentals in, you know, how can we allow technology to to serve this? And I think this question can go to you, John, and also to, uh, to Simone in a way. Do we need, let's say, internets that are more independent from what we have today? Or is, can we work with the current tools to, you know, build this citizen story uh, that you're talking talking about? I, I would love to learn from both of you on this and from all of your listeners. It's, it's really an edge of my, an edge of my learning and understanding. I guess where I come from and, and maybe what I can, what I offer into this into this conversation is 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 really the lens of these stories to see to try and look through so just to offer a counter example to your to, to what you're saying that that these new institutions that are emerging are technology driven one of my favorite examples actually is is going on in the city of paris right now where where you have a, a, a new standing citizens assembly that 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 actually oversees the elected representatives the elected council so a, a random uh, selection of i think 100 parisian citizens will have a an annual remit to to sit in judgment effectively on the performance of the city council and to commission uh, issue based citizens assemblies and all of that work is is offline and but I think what it speaks to uh, the reason why I, I throw that example in as well is that the citizen story is a many to many story the subject story and the consumer story are, are, are one to many stories they they put power in the hands of a few and the power the power to create in the hands of a few, whereas in a citizen story, enabled, I think, by by digital technologies, by the internet, that like it, it, it is a many-to-many society. And I think that is why we now are at a, an historic moment where it is genuinely possible for us to to create a society where everyone does have meaningful power on uh, over over the decisions that shape their lives. So one of the ways I I, I, I think about this is is using the the kind of going back to Marshall McLuhan and, and his sort of eternal wisdom and the, the idea of the medium is the message right so like in, in in a society dominated by print which was what the subject story was there was there were very few people who controlled what was said and and the rest of us were just on receive pretty much to whatever we were given in a society dominated by the television we became able to choose between channels but we but the the power to to decide what goes on those channels still resides with with very few in a society dominated by the internet the potential at least is that many to many but then the other McLuhanism, the, the thing about, the, I think it was McLuhan as well, said first we shape our tools and then our tools shape us. And I think the danger and the, the, the great tension in the moment in time we're living in is we've created a lot of these tools and platforms even from within what I would describe as the, from the consumer story. Like Facebook is fundamentally a consumer proposition. It's business model it's, it, and so on and so forth. It's, it's all rooted in, in that mindset. And those tools can shape us back and keep us trapped. 
And so I do think there's an evolution. I, we, met, we all met, as we said at the beginning, or we, we know our, our sort of circles overlap because of WeShare. And I think WeShare was there with deep optimism and hope at the beginning of, of what we all then called the sharing economy. And, and, but what I think as a result, I would argue, of the consumer story, the, pull, the gravitational pull of the consumer story kind of degenerated into the gig economy. Like Airbnb and Uber and all those guys, I mean, I remember hearing from them first at, at WeShare and, and the great hope was that they would create a kind of peer-to-peer world where we all shared with one another and, and what they actually did was just turn us not just into consumers of businesses, but consumers of each other. And I have a deep worry that 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 if we design this next wave of technology, the 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 Web three era from within the consumer story in the same way, then it will then it will trap us back in it as well. Like I I have these I don't know if this is a realistic nightmare or or, or even a useful dystopia, but but I have this sort of vision of of Elon Musk's Dogecoin becoming the global reserve currency instead of the kind of Ethereum backed uh, uh, kind of more decentralized power world. And I think, like, the, these potentials, I guess the, the way I see the moment in time is that these potentials are all live. And I offer the subject story, the consumer story, and the citizen story as lenses through which to see this moment and kind of distinguish between the possibilities and, and maybe see what decisions we could make to open different things up. I mean, this, these questions around technology are very interesting and essential so now you say for example citizen story is a many-to-many story right and when i quoted indy uh speaking about the civic economy i remember he was making this point of the transition from the private economy into the civic economy essentially uh, connected with the idea of uh, the uh, new technology that the blockchain and digital ledgers in general are bringing are bringing up so this idea that uh, you can make now contracts which are many to many uh, as you said um, it it fundamentally changes the nature of what kind of agreements we can we can create and what kind of organizations we can create you know evolving from the one to many uh, brand to consumer whatever uh, into the many to many right as you said my my point probably if, if we reflect on technology is that this comes with several challenges right one challenge is political right uh, so the blockchain and we spoke with Ethan Bookman recently uh, and uh, he, he made really this point that the blockchain is a political innovation it's not a technological innovation only it really requires us to rethink our idea of trust uh, and essentially to go beyond uh, and to start be able to design systems for places where we do not have any or at least we have a limited trust for centralized institutions right from third parties that are supposed to you know ensure that uh, information is legitimate and so on so the idea that the, the key idea here is that the blockchain comes with a political changes uh, it's it's a it's an enabler of new type of political architectures let's say and that's one challenge because we're not used to that mm, so basically citizens uh, are not used to think uh, beyond the existing institutions and the responsibilities that these institutions have in terms of for example security reliability and and so on then there is a uh, 
more like a the design challenge uh, because uh, when we think about entrepreneurship, we always think about uh, this uh, relationship between, let's say, the architect and the architected. Mm-hmm. So the idea that uh, there is designer, there is an entrepreneur that creates the vision, one or more, I would say a team, imagine, you know, some, some kind of uh, a team that creates the vision, uh, makes, makes this happen, grows the system, takes care of essentially the organizing uh, elements that are needed for larger frames of the relationship and interaction. They could be a consumer, but it could be also prosumer and, and, and consumers, as, as we see now with platforms. So what is the point here is that some of the challenging are the result of uh, us living through century, I would say, of uh, consumerism. So, the, I mean, it's more like a mental challenge to think that uh, uh, there is something different you can do you know, beyond consuming, beyond being am- administered your organization, let's say. Uh, but some are inherent. So committees have hard times deciding and moving forward. Of course, we have some uh, collective decision making and governance systems, uh, like you know, think about sociocracy, for example, that are providing us with some uh, solutions for that. But I mean, moving forward as a committee, sharing governance and decision making, these are inherent challenges uh, that impact the uh, you know efficacy we can have, the speed at which our organizations can move. And third, I think, and that's uh, the, the last point, and then I will uh, bounce, it back, bounce it back to you to, to see what you think. The problem I see is a problem that, uh, for example, if we think about blockchain, and the blockchain is also essential, for example, to allow us to think about advanced ways to uh, transition, for example, from the initial team, the initial creators into the community. You know, you, you probably you, you know about this idea of exit to community, you know, that could be important, you know, to, to move forward with uh, this transition from, uh, you know, centralized institutions into collective uh, institutions. This technology is kind of premised on the internet as we know it now. And the internet as we know it now uh, probably is not a, a given for the future because uh, if we look at what's happening these days, I mean, we're seeing supply chains breaking down in front of our eyes. We are seeing now hoarding of uh, materials. We're going through probably peak uh, of many resources. And so what happens if the infrastructure we are giving from uh, we are giving, giving us granted now uh, is going to break down? So we have to become a citizen sovereign, even from the perspective of creating our own infrastructures. And and so if I look into that, I kind of start to see this idea of, you know, this kind of solar park narrative that is uh, um, kind of spreading up these days. So the idea that we may live through a future where, you know, even accessing to networks and technology is not a it's not a given. You know, it's not granted. Uh, these are so many open points. You know, there is a political point. There is design related, entrepreneurial kind of related point that I spoke about. There is this technology and supply chain related topic. So the challenges abound for sure in thinking of uh, how we can really. Uh, execute this transition from the one too many into the many too many uh, economy and, and and governance. What what do you think about it? I'm, that was fascinating. I haven't heard it put like that. Particularly that last point, I think, is profound, right? And I and you're so 
it speaks so powerfully to this moment in time. It's not it's not just about Russia and Ukraine, right? Or Putin and Ukraine. It's 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 all of us. I I guess what I'm moved to sort of say into that is I think the citizen story this is where I almost want to go right back to its its roots. And so I talked about the idea of a shift from subject to consumer to citizen, to potentially to citizen over the last hundred years and more. But in the research for the book, what I where I ended up was that actually this idea that, that we are citizens by nature and that, that actually we've the story of humanity is is actually in many ways the story of the, the citizen instinct kind of rising and being squished and rising and being squished over over many centuries in many different ways and forms. And I think it, it wasn't the only thing that was there, but it was there in, in, in our kind of hunter-gatherer phase, right? Like there's this phrase in the literature now, campfire democracy, that's, uh, that's I think, really evocative. It was, it's, it, it's been there in all kind of oppressed communities. I mean, the, the cooperative movement didn't really so much start as, as, as we Brits like to claim everything started with us, but really the cooperative movement arguably started among black communities in the slave systems of, of America and finding ways to, to, to rely on one another rather than, rather than accept the situations they were in. Through you could go through to uh, some amazing stories about the golden age pirates who who actually uh, originated a whole load of governance structures and and cooperative functions and you can you can reinterpret ancient Athens actually and and the deliberative structures and processes there as a as a surge of this citizen instinct and I think the reason why I go there is to say I think the idea of ourselves as citizens is what emerges in crisis every time and and we saw it in we saw it in the first approach of COVID uh, I would recommend to your listeners a wonderful book by Rebecca Solnit called The Paradise Built in Hell where she tracks back through many crises and I think what happens when we're in crisis is we we turn to one another and we and we we build together and I think that is a deep source of hope but also an instruction in this time is to is like troubles brewing right like it, this is just the beginning and turning to one another strengthening these networks yes building the tools online and using the next wave of technology and blockchain and so forth but but much but really fundamentally building those connections building those networks because when as and when things do get even more difficult that is, it is not just that these could be future ways of organising the whole of society in a new golden age, it's also that these are the most deeply resilient ways of being human and preparing the ground for those is 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 a very sensible and, and powerful thing to do. So, yeah, my challenge to leaders in the book is open up to this story of humanity, invite people's agency, but my challenge to individuals is also, like, get involved, right? Like, that you can't. We're at. We're leaving the period of history where you could just uh, say, "I'm gonna. Look, I'm just gonna go back into my bubble and turn off the news and pretend it's not happening." The thing we can all do, and the energy we will all find, is by finding the others, like in our local, in our local communities, in our workplaces, seeing ourselves as citizens with agency in shaping those things, and finding the others who can do it with us, because our power is so much greater. Collective power is is not related to individual power by sort of one plus one equals two and two plus two equals four. It's 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 related exponentially. If we if we find one another, we have exponentially greater power than we do as a as a as a as a gathering of individuals. And so I think that's 
that's probably almost like the critical point in this is whatever the future holds the citizen story is both our deepest nature and something we can take hope and an optimism from but also as you've kind of pushed me to acknowledge as well in this conversation is also a challenge to us to to lean in and get stuck in whatever's coming our way i mean i guess that uh, as the um, proverbial point you know uh, we're gonna see the value of the ship uh, in turbulent times right so <laughs> and the skipper as well uh, so so that's that's for sure um one last thing i wanted to ask you john before we we move into closing moments so you are also a consultant right so uh, there is something that uh, i'm wrangling with we are bringing with at boundaryless since many months now and uh, this is something that i would call uh, our search for a new investment thesis essentially how do we move from this idea of consulting right this idea of selling our capabilities on the market into uh, a, an idea of Uh, having skin in the game in what we do and uh, and investing in what we do to create our own wealth, let's say. Uh, so I'm wondering, how do you approach this idea of uh, consulting, also having in mind that uh, a real uh, transition uh, entails uh, taking more responsibility and having more skin in the game in, in what you do? So I, 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 my point here is, shouldn't we think about our own business instead of maybe consulting others uh, in evolving their own organizational ch- uh, strategies and so on? That's, I don't know if, if you have a reflection on this. In a lot of ways, I actually think of the new citizenship project, the, the consulting business I've, I founded with, um, with Irene Akeshis, my, my business partner, as almost less a consulting business and more a research project. And, and the way we think of ourselves, a lot of our work is rooted in, in ideas around action research methodologies and so on. So we're really, a, we're really an inquiry question. We're really a, a, a question holder. And the question we're asking is, what would it look like for organizations of all shapes and sizes to treat people as citizens rather than consumers, whether that's their employees or their customers or whoever? And I think what we've been able to do kind of methodologically as a result of that is to hold inquiries with individual organizations and multiple organizations. We do these collaborative innovation projects where we bring together six organizations from across a sector and say, like, what if museums were to treat people as co-creators of culture rather than just consumers of days out, just to give you an example. And so I think... To some extent, we, at least in method and spirit, we do have skin in the game, as, as you put it. It's really interesting, though, to think about, like, the gravitational pull still exerts itself on us because someone is paying for services provided by us. At some level, that is still the frame of the contract. And, and, and sort of nudging at the edges of that, I think, is... Uh, is something we have been trying to do, but, but you're pushing me to go, well, no, we need to do that further if we're going to practice what we preach. I guess where I would maybe leave it is, is in that spirit of, like, yes, there's a business model question, but I think if we have something to offer on this, it's probably the idea of holding questions with the organisations we work with. You know, I'm deliberately dancing around the word clients, uh, holding questions with the organisations we work with rather than providing answers for them as clients. 
and I think that is potentially a very interesting. I, I we found it much more generative and joyful, and the 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 relationships that we've we've been in where we are able to do that. I think we're able to almost play more of a kind of coaching, you might even call it a kind of therapist role. And I think that's that's analogous to the challenge I'm laying down for all of us. Like, how do we? How do we see one another's agency and expand it rather than provide solutions? Because providing solutions actually contracts the agency of the other. Like giving answers is a is a closing down of space, whereas asking questions together, providing safety but not certainty is a is an opening up of space. And that so I I ended I am and I think question I love questions. I love working with questions more broadly. I the last sentence of the book is uh is 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 a question that I I love to pose to people uh, which is like what what would you do in this time in all of this context if you if you go back to this idea of people as citizens what like what would you do from where you are from wherever you are if you really believed in yourself and also in those around you, where would that thought take you? Where would trusting in people, radically trusting in people, take you? That's the deepest question I think I'm I'm working with in the world. That I love that question. Uh, you know, I got the sneak peek from from the book, so that was you know, it really makes you think and get excited. Uh, so, so since we are coming to the end of the conversation, can you, Everything you just described uh, sounds great. So how do people now get in touch with your work? Can you tell us more about your imminent book release, where to find your work, where to follow you and so on? And I know you're getting away from the one hero <laughs> narrative. So to find your team uh, rather and, and your projects. <laughs> Thank you, Stina. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, hilariously for someone who's trying to get away from the one hero narrative, I do have my own website at johnalexander.net. <laughs> um, you can find and, and put, and hilariously for someone who's preaching away from consumption, I'm, I am selling copies of my book. <laughs> um, and you can find it uh, uh, anywhere in the world on bookdepository.com. You can, uh, but you can also like, I'd love you to call your local bookshop and tell them to get it in. I'm, I'm hoping to travel around with this I'm and and you can find out more about the work of New Citizenship Project at newcitizenship.org.uk we'd love to hear from you from anyone and we're we're just we're just very passionate about this journey that we're on and the the questions that we're holding and and working with so thank you so much both for having me I mean John it's it's been amazing uh, amazing chat and I think uh, there is a lot uh, that um, a lot of work that needs to be done uh, really on envisioning what does it mean to perform this transition, you know, towards the new citizen story, as you call it? So thank, thanks so much for, for, for joining us. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a precious time to, to discuss these topics with you and to all our listeners, uh, catch up soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bandless Conversations podcast. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, Please share this episode on social media, review our show on any major distribution platform, and don't forget to subscribe for new episode releases. Stay tuned on boundless.io for our latest news and updates. There, you can also find our free design tools, opportunities to learn how to use them, and connect directly with us to use our help in designing your platform strategies and organizational transformations for the age of ecosystems. We also want to thank Walter Mobilia at Leo Sound for the ad hoc music.